Welcome to To Every Generation, the broadcast ministry of Calvary Chapel Crossfields, located in Jamesburg, New Jersey, where we teach through the entire Bible, verse by verse, and make application to every generation so we can grow in our relationship with God. This morning we're going to be in Ephesians 6, verses 10 through 17. So the last time we covered all of Ephesians 6, the whole chapter, but I read verses 10 through 17 but didn't exegete them, the armor of God. I really wanted to save that, those eight verses for this Sunday because it's just so powerful. It's something every Christian needs to understand. You know, there's so many questions. You know, we're born physically from our mother's womb. And then at some point, you know, God draws us and we respond to his love advances and we become born again of the Spirit, as Jesus says in John chapter 3. So now we're spiritual beings, but we still have physical bodies. But then we kind of do battle and, uh, you know, the heavens are opened up to us in the form of prayer and such, and we can directly uh, communicate with God and, and have a relationship with him because we're spiritual beings and we're eternal, but we're still stuck in these physical bodies. And when we fight, we're not to fight as Christians, you know, with our bodies, but we're supposed to fight and call on God to spiritually do battle. And what does that battle look like? So there's a lot of questions, and people look for answers to those questions. Well, just to kind of remind you that if you remember in 2 Kings 6, uh, the prophet, the great prophet Elisha, when the Syrian army with all their war machines, surrounded his, his village and his area, that Elisha wasn't moved. He wasn't moved at all. And his servant was panicking. So Elisha prays to God and he says, just for this moment, open his eyes so he can see what really is going on. And the young man, the servant, opened his eyes and he saw the Syrian army. And behind the Syrian army were a multitude of horses and chariots of fire. So he got to see the spiritual realm. And really, that's what we have to focus on. Sometimes we deal with difficult people that just despise us because of their faith. But we have to understand that we don't wrestle against flesh and blood. It's some force behind them that's blinding them from spiritual truths. If we took, we went on a field trip and we went into the city only because there's a lot of people and thousands of people walking back and forth, back and forth, getting on buses, getting something to eat. And we prayed this prayer like Elisha did. Lord, open our eyes so we can see what's going on i got to tell you, it wouldn't be pretty. There's some people that would be walking and grotesque beings or demons would have their claws attached to them. Others would be doing things and there'd be demonic forces having a good old time inside of them. Matthew 12 speaks about that. Now some people say, that's so weird. It freaks them out because because we're earth-tethered beings. But as Christians, God often opens the curtains so that we can see what's going on in the spiritual realm. And when we understand that, it gives us more love for people that are blinded by the demonic forces and the, for our desire to see them saved. So how do we warfare? Well, we're going to jump in and check that out. So Ephesians 6, starting with verse 10, the Apostle Paul says, Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might and put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles or the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand. Stand, therefore, having girded your waist with truth, having put on the breastplate of righteousness, having shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace, above all, taking the shield of faith with which you will be able to quench all of the fiery darts of the wicked one, and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. This is one of the, well, prior to the conclusion, this is one of the last things that the Ephesian Christians would have heard as this letter was read aloud in their church, penned by the Apostle Paul under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. 
And the Apostle Paul does a masterful job, if you think about it. So the Apostle Paul, it's amazing you get such encouraging words from somebody in prison. And I know Arnie, somewhere in here, does prison ministry, and he gives me these awesome praise reports of when he goes in there. And yeah, they're locked up. Yeah, they're told what to do, when to go to bed, when to get up. But some have come to faith, and there's just a powerful, uh, they exude just this joy being behind bars. I did prison ministry, and it's, it's impressive. Um, I w- wasn't sure if I was going to like it, but I loved it. Now, so the Apostle Paul, prison back then was different from prison today. He's in a Roman prison. Um, he's incarcerated. Most likely he was chained to a Roman guard. So this is important that I set the stage for the rest of the, the, the portion of the sermon today because it gives you context. And the Apostle Paul would have seen some things. He would have seen the Romans in their full-dress uniform. He would have looked at their uniform, and he would have taken note of the different pieces of their uniform. Remember, he's making an analogy. He did what Jesus did. It's a parable. He takes a, a physical truth and makes a spiritual illustration out of it. He would see the Romans with, Romans with their shields and with their swords, and they would train. And he'd be sitting there, and he'd be watching this, and he thought to himself probably, wow, I'd like to make a great application for the churches so they could put on their spiritual armor as the Romans put on their physical armor. Now, understand this as well. The Romans had a dual function. This happens in a lot of countries, but not the United States. In the United States, you have local police that deal with local jurisdictional issues, be it township, county, state, police. That's their domain. And when the military come through, they have to abide by the laws because police officers have that authority over them. However, Military personnel are there to defend our borders, they're to go overseas and to defend our interests and maybe fight in a way that somehow protects us. And in that venue, the soldier has more authority over the police officer. In the Roman Empire, the soldiers did both. They would go to war when their battalion was sent out there, and some of them would be transferred to a local uh, jurisdiction to keep the local peace. So they were every man. They were generalists, so to speak. And Paul's checking this out. Now let's look at these three things. Now you've got, you got to put your... You, you have to think about this. We are spiritual soldiers. right? We're fighting in God's army. The, jihad, the jihadists have it wrong because they don't worship the truth. They think they need to slay and kill here and, and slaughter people so that they can please their God. The Christian... The fundamental Christian, the Bible-believing Christian, which is what we should be, does not fight with these physical weapons. We fight in the heavenlies and the spiritual to try to free people from the blindness of Satan so that their souls can be freed from hell. So a lot of what we do goes on behind the scenes. Remember, if you break down the wood, the steel, it looks pretty solid. You look through the arm and the bone. When you really break it down to the molecular level and past the compounds and such, you find that there's the atomic level, which has the nucleus and the electrons whizzing around it. Electrons are joined to the next atom, and there's some type of bond there, and there's a nucleus there. But when you really look down deep, you find that we're we're filled with holes because there's so much space between the nucleus and the electron. This is not the real world. You say, well, what do you mean? Pinch me. Look, I'm really here. It's not the real world because everybody dies and goes back into the ground. But our bodies are here to house our spirit, which is the part of us that's eternal. Right? So we've got to get that straight. So let's look at this pep talk that the general, the Apostle Paul, is giving to us, the troops, as well as he did to the Ephesian Christians 2,000 years ago. There's application for us today. So the first thing is the pep talk to the troops. Before D-Day, did you think that there was a pep talk? Oh, I'm sure there were many pep talks because people were scared. They were scared to go in and storm the beaches where they knew they were going to hit heavy machine gun fire. So there was a pep talk. Number one, in verse 10, he commands us to be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. We go to battle endued with the power of our commander-in-chief. And I don't mean our president. Presidents come and go, but the Lord stands forever. He's the one who seals us with the Holy Spirit, can fill us with the Holy Spirit. We can overflow with the Holy Spirit, and we're commanded. Well, I don't know if I can be strong in the Lord. No, the Bible, if the Bible commands it, that means we have the ability to do it. So it's the first thing. Second is we're commanded in verse 11 to don the spiritual armor, the whole armor of God. And the whole armor in the Greek is panoplia, where we get in the English panoply. 
So this, is, this needs to be put on to protect us before we go into battle. Third, in the same verse, think about the military. Think about a, a, a smart army. They do all this stuff, right? Third, in the same verse, we're told who the leader of the enemy camp is. Very important and what his strengths are. He's the devil. He's the fallen angel, a.k.a. the dragon, the liar, the lion, the destroyer, the adversary, the strong man, the thief, the killer, the deceiver, and Lucifer. We look further into his dossier, and we find out what his strengths are. He's a schemer, he's wily, he's crafty, he's cunning, he's deceptive. He disguises himself as an angel of light and his ministers the same way. So when Satan inspires what he does is, this is brilliant. This is, this is <laughs> psychological warfare. You know, what, even in World War II, in any war, what happens is, if you can speak the language of your enemy, they'll send you in behind enemy lines to blend in and to learn from the enemy army. And this is what Satan does. He disguises himself as an angel of light. Some of those people you watch on TV are not inspired by the Holy Spirit because Satan sows them in the church to make them look like us. They may be beautiful. They may be well-spoken. But if you, the only way you can tell is by their fruits and the words that come out of their mouth. Is it biblical or is it against Scripture? That's why you'll know if the person's real or not. Don't be deceived by what the person looks like. This is what the enemy wants you to believe. So don't under, underestimate the enemy. Fourth, in verse 10, we're told who the enemy forces are, the demons, the third of the fallen angels that, that took their lot behind Lucifer, and what arena we can find them in. They're the forces behind the flesh and blood. Again, we deal with, when we deal with vile people, again, you person goes out and maybe to evangelize, right? And they, they just start talking to people. And let me tell you about the love of God. Just not maybe even fire and brimstone, just talking to people, trying to build a bridge. And they get spit on, they get harassed, they get assaulted, they get driven out of that place. Why is that person so angry? You can disagree with me about a lot of things and I'm not going to hate you or try to hurt you. It's because they're deceived by these forces, we're going to be in, in the book of Daniel after this. I'm so excited to teach the book of Daniel, by the way. Daniel chapter 10, it spoke about territorial demons that had authority over certain geography. Matthew 12, 43 through 45, speaks about a demon who leaves a man and goes through dry places looking to find rest, finds none, goes back to the man, sees he got, he got some religion. He got cleaned up a little bit, right? So the demon goes back, and he takes seven more wicked than himself, and the last state of the man is worse than the beginning. So the Bible talks about possession. Yes, there was a contextual issue, but Jesus used an illustration, a spiritual illustration, to make his point. Can a Christian who's sealed with the Holy Spirit be inhabited by demons? The answer is no. So I just want to make sure that's clarified. Because new believers have questions. And when I teach, the person who's been 20 years in the Lord knows their Bible, knows what I'm saying, but I have to teach to the new believers, and I also have to teach and feed those that have been in the Lord a long time. It's actually pretty challenging. The fifth thing that we see, five out of six, is we're commanded in verse 13 to don the full battle gear and to not give ground. He says, withstand, stand, stand, withstand. These are military commands. Oppose, resist, stand against. Not to be spectators. No born-again believer is to be a spectator in this arena. You've got to think about, again, I'm, I, history. World War II is fascinating to me. On the Russian side and the German side, when they clashed, there was a lot of deserters. They were scared. They didn't want to fight. And the, the chance that they got, they took off. Even though knowing that desertion, the punishment could have been death. When you're in ranks and you're facing off against the enemy and there's a good portion of your, your, your troops that are frightened and run away, that can be a real problem for winning that battle. It starts to demoralize the other troops, and it's a snowball effect. Brothers and sisters, we are called to stand, stand, and withstand. Warren Wiersbe says the Christian life is a battleground. It's not a playground. Unfortunately, there are too many believers in the Western church that have been deceived by Satan at this plenty of time. Have fun. Be a play baby. Plenty of Western Christians that are play babies. All they do is play. They're never in the arena. They're all hanging out on the fringe, on the side, and it's, that's not what we're called to do. 
Again, this type of preaching will never build us into a megachurch because some people will be offended by it. But I have to tell you the truth. That's my task. And I was there for a while as a Christian. I had the honeymoon phase, and then I had my meandering phase, and then I really got serious about the Lord. And I never looked back. But some may come to me and say, Pastor Joe, I'm, I'm elderly, and I don't get around as good as I used to. Well, can you pray? Chuck Smith attributed the success of Costa Mesa as a church to a group of elderly women that together, get together regularly and pray. They were retired, they had time on their hands, and they just got together and there was warfare. And they, they I'm telling you something, my Vera over there, you know, she's got a problem with her knees, but that woman gives me such encouragement. She gives me the, the thumbs up sign, you know, so she might not be able to get around. Don't let her deceive you. I know she's praying for this ministry. I know she's praying for this church, as are many of you. So you are donning your spiritual armor and you're getting into the warfare. As you, if you remember in verse 18, when I skipped, I read 10 through 17 last Sunday and then I hit 18, he says, you've got to pray. You've got to continue to pray. You've got a warfare in the, in the heavenlies. Sixth is the Apostle Paul is going to tell us what equipment we're to use for this battle in the following verses. And I want to read a scripture before we jump into the equipment. Can we put up image one, please? Okay, so the Apostle Paul, who knows? Did he do, do a drawing? Did he, was it mental? Um, he sees the Romans, he sees their gear, and he starts saying, well, that is a breastplate, but let's take breastplate and make it something else in the spiritual realm. Well, that is a sword. <laughs> it's pretty sharp looking. Well, let's, let's make it the Word of God. And he does this thing under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, and he sends the letter. We can leave that image up for a little bit. So if I read 2 Corinthians, which is a parallel uh, scripture, 2 Corinthians 10, 3 through 6, it says, For though we walk in the flesh, these bodies, we do not war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but they're mighty in God for pulling down strongholds, casting down arguments, and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God, bringing every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ and being ready to punish all disobedience when your obedience is fulfilled. I like this part about pulling down strongholds and casting down arguments. Well, I, and I hear this a lot. I, I have a, a relative or I, a coworker, and I really love them. And they, they don't believe in God, and I, I want to win them. And there may be some friction for a while, but they may throw arguments. You don't listen. I, I say this all the time. Science, listen, I went to Rutgers for four years, got a degree, took the biological sciences and physical sciences, and then I actually studied more after college because I find it fascinating. I'm going to find out, and I have. I've run into professors that know more than I do. There's always somebody who knows more than you. We don't win these arguments by knowing more than the professor. Okay, the Lord will get, we should know something about our faith, don't get me wrong. We should not know anything. We should know something about the physical sciences, but that's not how we win the argument. The argument is going to be one in the heavenly realm. It isn't going to be, I'm going to out, and you know, I heard a, a message, I can't remember who it was from, he said, because sometimes Christians can get carried away. He says, so you beat the person in the, in the debate, but did you win them to Christ? Did you humiliate them to the point that they'll never consider Christ at this point? That was a great teaching something we need to keep in mind. We're not to argue with people to hurt them or make them look foolish. We're to help to win them to Christ. And that's the goal. Colossians 2.15 Jesus did a lot of things. It says in 14, he had taken it out of the way, having nailed it to the cross, right? 15, having disarmed principalities and powers, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing, over them in it. Probably the demons thought, and there's some allusions in the scripture to the demons thought they might have won when Jesus was, went to the cross, but when they realized what he did, they realized that the battle, the war was over. Battle still had to be fought, but eventually God's going to win. That was his way to bring mankind back to him to redeem us. So Satan now had to work extra hard because that, that simple act that Jesus did caused him a lot of pain. We didn't feel it. But because of that and our trust and belief in what he did on the cross, Satan has no power over me. He can't inhabit me. I'm sealed with the Holy Spirit. He can only bother me and harass me. But when I die, I'm going to be with the Lord for eternity. He's going to be in the lake of fire. So let's put this all in the perspective here. All right. Continuing on. Uh, Ephesians 6. Just hit the armor one more time, and then we'll break it down. 
Stand therefore, having girded your waist with truth, having put on the breastplate of righteousness, having shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace, above all, taking the shield of faith with which you will be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked one and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. Gird the waist with truth. So let's go, and I'm going to go through these applications, soldier, police officer, I'm going to do everything I can for us to understand this message. Some of you maybe have family members who are soldiers. Some of you have family members who are police officers. So you've seen them. Maybe you've seen them in uniform. You've seen them putting on this stuff. Paul, Apostle Paul, sees the Roman soldiers put on their gear. So girding the waist with truth, whether it's a soldier, a police officer, or even Batman, they all have utility belts now, don't they? Okay. So utility belts are very important. The belt is important, girding, you know, the girdle, what they called it, before it was completely associated with a a female uh, accouterment. It was a girdle. It was a thing that held other things together. The tools and the weaponry were all be held together by this, this belt. What does that mean spiritually? It means that the belt of truth provides the foundations for which all other things are secured too. Why are we here in this church this morning? It's a beautiful day. Why aren't we down at the beach? Or do, don't, don't meditate on that too much. But <laughs> hopefully you're enjoying what you're hearing. But the bottom line is that why are we here? If this was just a social institution, let's do it another time. Let's do whatever the world does. But the difference is that God is a part of it. There's truth. If there's no truth in what we're talking about, then we're wasting, I'm wasting your time, and I'm certainly wasting my time, because I spend a lot of hours studying for these messages. So, don't bother evangelizing. Evangelizing is giving the good news of the gospel. It's got to be based on truth, or otherwise our lives are a farce. A young adult sent me an article (laughs) from a website. I never even heard of this website, but I like to look at things and This is great. They figured this out 2,000 years. They finally figured it out. It says, ancient confession found. We invented Jesus Christ. (gasps) Let's all go home. (laughs) You know what I'm saying? But it basically talks about how it was the Roman aristocracy. And I'm reading this. I'm like, you know, I like to read opposing stuff. The Roman aristocracy had an institutional racism mentality. But what happened was Christianity made all people equal. So if they were inventing Jesus... For this purpose, it's pretty stupid of them. Here's another thing. Again, zero. they're going to be 0 for 2 on this one if this is true. Of course, it's not true. It says that the Roman aristocracy invented this, this Jesus, so that all the zealous Jews would calm down. They were causing too much trouble and civil insurrection. So let's invent the peaceful Messiah. Sounds good from a worldly point of view, but here's the problem with that. Almost all the zealous Jews rejected Jesus because he didn't conquer Rome, right? And if you know your history, in 134 AD, the Bar Kokhba revolt, where Bar Kokhba rose up and said, that Jesus, that peaceful Messiah, I'm going I'm to conquer the Romans. The Jews that went in and took their lot with Bar Kokhba, it was a bloodbath. So many Jews were slaughtered. It was, it was just a, a killing field because of this false messiah that rose up that they were looking for a political messiah they would have done anything for him so this is a foolish article you know i mean when you really understand what you believe why you believe what you believe it doesn't do anything so the truth various tools at our disposal we fight against the opposite of truth which are the lying schemes of the devil first peter 3:15 says but sanctify the Lord God in your hearts and always be ready to give a defense, an apologian, a courtroom style debate or, or, or good defense in the Greek is where we get apologetics from to everyone who asks you a reason for the hope that is in you with meekness and fear. Do we have an apologian, brothers and sisters? Do we know why we believe what, what we believe? The answer is not just because I believe. I can believe in anything and say just because I believe. We believe in this because it's the truth, right? And if we really had that relationship with the Lord and we're new believers, we should be wanting to learn more about our wonderful God who loved us so much that he did this for us. So 1 Peter 3.15. Again, know why you believe what you believe. 
I just have to digress for a moment. How many of you remember, and this is a bumper sticker, bumper stickers go through phases, right? Several decades ago, who remembers seeing the bumper sticker that said, kill your TV? You've got to be kidding me. One person? That's a great bumper sticker. I have to digress for a moment. You know, those in the media don't believe what you believe. Those in the media see fundamental Christianity, even the love that we want to see everybody save, they have a problem with Jesus is the only way. They mock Christians. I see a lot of Christians put stuff on their social media, and they, they, whatever the media says, they jump on. That is the dumbest thing that we can do. It's almost like going to the enemy camp and giving them equipment and giving them funds. When we as Christians jump on it, listen, my attitude is when I hear something in the mainstream media, I immediately question it. And I say, there's got to be something more to it. They love to stir up trouble. And when they're wrong, they don't care because they stir up trouble, they blow it up, and then they, they leave the, the, the scene of the crime. That's what they do. Be careful with what you think that you see and what you think that some of these reporters say. You know, I've seen it also in talk show hosts. I watched, I watched a clip of Oprah Winfrey berate a woman in her audience for saying that Jesus was the only way. The woman was very polite. Oprah's not a Christian, okay? A lot of these people, Katie Couric, you know, Charlie Rose, whatever, I can throw a bunch of names out. Oh, he's my favorite newscaster. And if you saw him on the street and you told him what he, you believed, he would make fun of you. So Christians, there's a lot of lies out there. And we need to do a better job to pray, to do a little research, and to see what the truth is instead of letting it be force-feed us through our television. So kill your TV, okay? That's a public service announcement. And two, the, breast, the breastplate of righteousness. Breastplate in Greek is thorax, where we get the word thorax from. The Bible's hard to interpret. Really? A lot of our words come from the scripture, especially in the medical community. Cardia, cardiology, right? Ostia, bone. These are very simple words to translate because we've translated them and used them in our vernacular. All these silly things that people throw at you. The, the, pull down those strongholds. Take a little a, a brief study of the Bible. You know, make it your life's goal. The Roman soldiers wore armor that covered vital organs and their torso from their neck to their groin. Uh, there was various body armor. You might have seen some of the, the soldiers after uh, in the Middle Ages that wore chain mail chain and then interwoven and it would take a, a sword coming across it and it would just glide right off of them. It actually let air flow through it. Um, there was solid armor. Uh, police wear body armor. Soldiers wear what's called dragon skin. If you can put up image two. You know how old that is? It's about 2,000 years old. I love it when people say, oh, people back then, they didn't have computers. They weren't. You know what? They used their brains. Right? Sorry. <laughs> That's actually called the Roman Lorica Squamata. That is the original version of dragon skin body armor. And that must have taken a long time to make, but they would take pieces of metal and they would interweave them and the swords and whatever would glance off of them. Pretty impressive, isn't it? Let's go back to the breastplate of righteousness. Spiritual speaking, whether it's Greek or Hebrew, these languages, these old languages expressed the internal organs. It's weird, even in the Psalms, or my kidneys, my heart. What's, what does my internal organs have to do with how I feel? That's the way the Hebrews and the Greeks expressed their emotions and their feelings. Um, these terms were used to express visceral feelings. That also we have to be careful of. Sometimes I wake up and I don't feel right or I don't feel like doing something. I can't follow my feelings. I have to follow what the Word says and, and what God says to me in prayer, even though it's very uncomfortable. If I followed my feelings, I would never do a funeral. I don't enjoy doing funerals. But you know what? I put my heart and soul into it. So be careful of feelings. You may see some of these preachers and every Sunday morning I'm ministered to by him. I feel good. I can walk on air. But did he, what he said was it commensurate with what the Bible teaches. You need to protect your heart. You need to protect those, those visceral feelings, right? Emotional, emotions and beliefs need to be protected by Satan's desired death blows. See, if the enemy can instill, think about this, fear, 
depression, demoralization in soldiers, psychological warfare, then he's going to win the battle by default because the soldiers are going to be in disarray. So, righteousness, what is that? Justification, assurance of our salvation. I'm justified, just as if I hadn't sinned. That's a simple explanation. When I trust in Jesus as my Lord and Savior, when I repent, turn from my ways, and now I start to walk with him, I'm justified, I'm righteous. And that has to be the protecting agent against having those feelings and beliefs and emotions twisted by the enemy to make us ineffective. And usually, the breastplate of righteousness will protect us from the glancing blow that says, God doesn't care about you. He doesn't love you. Your conversion was fake. This usually is to new believers. Um... You know, you're, you're not like the other people in the church. They're all nice people, and you're not. You did this over the weekend. You did that. You need to be protected from your beliefs now starting to put you in a tailspin. Now, it's funny because he doesn't just say that to one person in the church. He says that to hundreds of them. He's a bully. Satan is a bully. What do bullies do? They get you alone, and they start badgering you without any protection from somebody else. That's what bullies do. He's a bully. So protect yourself with righteousness. No what you believe, know that you're saved. Um, it gives us a sense of God confidence in what Christ did for us and what he continues to do for us. Three, the feet shod with the gospel of peace. The Roman soldiers had sandals with hobnails affixed to them to provide stability in all types of terrain. So when they stepped, they had a, a form of cleat that kept them moving forward. This is important, whether it's a Roman soldier, a police officer, um, you know, a military person, a footwear is extremely important because when your feet give out, you can't stand. You can't march. You can't charge into battle. So I think sometimes we forget, and I've heard teachings where that glosses over the footwear. Without the footwear, the body doesn't move and it doesn't stay. The Romans, put up uh, image three, please. The Romans had, uh, what they did was they fought with their enemies and they learned to adapt to their tactics. And even today, modern militaries use some ideas, not necessarily with swords and shields, but they've adapted from the Roman um, formations. The Greeks had what was called the phalanx, which we get the word phalanges from, the bones in our fingers. Okay, it meant because they were so close to each other. They were shoulder to shoulder. They had their swords at the ready. They didn't present their weapons so it could be taken from them. I really get into this stuff. <laughs> but uh, where was I? <laughs> I'm going off in a different direction here. But the, the Romans had this modified phalanx, and they needed to be together, and they needed to be locked together for it to be effective. Again, stand, stand, withstand. Don't give any ground. Don't let your buddy fall to the ground. And they would often do... Oh, I know what I wanted to say. Um, the Battle of Thermopylae, and they made movies about it, but literally 300 men held off tens of thousands because of this phalanx movement. But what was really important is you had to have the cooperation of each other. Right? Now, I've heard many teachings that said, if you've heard this before, the sword is the only offensive weapon. I don't agree with that. The shoes are also an offensive weapon. Right? They help us to continue forward. Brothers and sisters, the gospel of peace, it cannot give ground. The Romans were not to give ground. It is the truth, and it must continue to propel us forward. There is no retreat for a truth that has the power to send some souls to hell and some to heaven based on the receptivity of that message. When the gospel of peace is being employed, we can move forward. We give no ground when it comes to the gospel of peace. And this is important because there's a lot of ministries that are trying to water down the gospel. We don't apologize for the gospel. We don't compromise the gospel. We don't dilute the gospel. We don't surrender the gospel. Amen? All right. The peace aspect, what is the peace? Well, the good news is salvation. Jesus died for our sins. It's not just that we get to go to heaven and live for eternity. It's how we can live today. It brings us a sense of peace that surpasses all understanding. The world looks at peace when the circumstances are okay and there's peace treaties. Christians, this supernatural peace is more powerful than that. It doesn't matter what the circumstances are. We have that inner stillness, that peace. So 
For those that believe peace now and in the afterlife, for those that reject a lack of true peace now and torment in the afterlife. Four, the shield of faith. Every Roman soldier needed a shield to protect himself from arrows, swords, fire, javelins, stones, or whatever and the enemy threw at them. The Roman uh, image four. This is called the testudo or tortoise formation where the shields were not only in a perimeter on the outside, they, and they would go march like this, like a tortoise coming at you with a shell. But they also would literally take fiery darts. This is amazing that the Apostle Paul says that. Because if you understand ancient battles, the archers were, were deadly. And sometimes not only did the archers send out all these arrows, but they also dipped them in flammable liquid to make it even worse. So even if it didn't hit you and hit something around you, it starts to catch the place on fire. So here, I have my replica of a Roman shield. <laughs> so, in the testudo formation, if you were in the center, you had the, the shield up, and you would hear, and they would be pounding the shield. Sometimes the shields would catch on fire, and the temptation would be to throw the shield away, which is just what the enemy wanted. Once you break through the shield it's over. Then you cause confusion in the ranks. So the shield is very important. Satan used these fiery darts on Eve. Again, he got her alone and he twisted her mind. He took some truth, twisted it with lies, and presented it to her. It got through her defenses and she gave in to the temptation and then her husband gave in to the temptation. So the shield is a defensive weapon. It's used for protection. There are a lot of believers especially Western Christians who have cracked, broken, or tattered shields. There's too many that don't know much about their faith, don't know much about the Bible. And when the enemy busts up the shield, he's on the inner defenses and goes for the kill stroke. Another commission out of, another Christian out of commission. The Lord rebuked his own followers for their lack of faith. Faith is extremely important. That means we can always do a better job because the Lord tells us that we can do a better job. You see, there's saving faith, which is a beautiful blanket, and then there's also faith exercised in our daily walk with him. A faith that starts out maybe as a mustard seed, but can grow into something huge and beautiful. This is a protection like no other. So you might ask, sometimes this is glossed over too. This is why I wanted to save this for one Sunday. There's a lot here. What are the fiery darts? What are the arrows of the enemy? Doubt, discouragement, fear, Unbelief, temptation, lies, feelings of unworthiness. Satan gets you alone and he slings that arrow at you. And you start to doubt. You start to doubt if he loves you. You start to doubt if he's hearing your prayers. You start to doubt whether you even belong in the family of God. Those are the fiery arrows. And I can tell you that when there was a battle and the arrows rained down, it got the better of the soldiers. It was a horrible thing to behold on the battlefield. Soldiers all over the field with these arrows, multiple ones sticking out of them. Actually, I think that's what took down the Spartans eventually in that, in that battle. So this is what you have. Five, the helmet of salvation. The Roman soldier had a helmet to protect his head. Soldiers today and police also wear helmets to protect their head. Uh, literally, the head needs protection because it encapsulates the brain, which is the master of the central nervous system. That's why God gave us. I actually saw a, a footage of a man who got shot with a 22, <laughs> and he got shot right in the frontal area. And the bullet was lodged there, and he's having a conversation. And this bullet's sticking out of his head. It, I don't think it was a 22 long rifle. It might have been a, a smaller punch. But the skull is very hard. God gave, us for a, it gave it to us for a sense of protection. Right? The brain is very important. So now we're going to go into the spiritual realm. However, a, a helmet would give you more protection. Okay? When we think of the helmet of salvation, what is it protecting? The intellect, the reasoning, the will. How does it do that? Because the assurance of salvation changes the mindset from that of the worldly to that of God. Now, when we become believers, if Nothing changes in how we see things. I question that. As we read the scripture and we hear the pundits on TV 
and we hear the philosophers, and we hear the naysayers, and we hear the false teachers who try to water down the gospel, the helmet of salvation has to change how we think, how we reason. I had a lot of bad ways before I was a believer, and my, my mindset changed. Made me a better person, better husband, better father. Um, and a better in a lot of things. Doesn't mean I don't sin because I do. I have to repent every day. But believers who don't use that important brain and mind that God gave them are doing the faith a disservice. If we go to promotion, right, we want to get promoted. What do we do? We study. Right? If we want to get something in the professional uh, realm, if we want to uh, beat in, a, in a, a physical competition, we still use our brain to train. You use muscle memory, right? The brain is a big part of that. As believers, when we become believers, there's also something that needs to be exercised. Because of, because of the fact that we're saved, the entire worldview has to change. There's Christians today who believe in humanistic psychology. And when I have discussions with them, it comes out. It's because it's their foundation. Man is basically good. That's a lie. Okay? Um, I can't help it. It's not my fault. I need to blame somebody else. We live in a society where nobody's taking personal responsibility. Not our elected officials, not individuals. A lot of people in the church, it's not my fault. Blame something else. Blame my past. Blame this. And that's destructive. Because how do you bring somebody to Christ unless they know that they're sinning and they're a savior? Why do I need a savior if my life is going fine? And when I do bad things, I can blame somebody else and everybody says I'm fine. What, what, what do I need a Savior for? No need for it. Sin is very important. We have to preach on sin and repentance. Otherwise, the Savior is useless to us. So consider that. Consider your worldview. Consider what you think of. Consider your whole life's mantra, what you're known by. And make sure you apply God's word to that and it might be needed to be tweaked a little bit. When Satan tries to deceive us, we either recall by memory or we find scripture that says otherwise. Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. Okay, memorize that. Trust in the Lord with all my heart and lean not on my own understanding. Acknowledge him in all my ways and he will smooth, direct my paths. Oh, that's a good one to memorize. When we're being lied to, when we're thinking the wrong things when we're maybe going in the wrong direction and we tend to blame God and we memorize that scripture, we realize maybe I'm not acknowledging him in all of my ways. Scripture is therapeutic. It's very helpful. Six, the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. See, some try to, and it's sad, some try to separate the Holy Spirit from the word of God. If somebody says they're filled with the Holy Spirit, and they're hyped up, and what they're doing is against Scripture, that's not the Spirit. It could be coffee, it could be a lot of things, but it isn't the Holy Spirit, right? The sword of the Spirit, which is also the Word of God. They're connected. Now, the Romans had a lot of different weapons at their disposal, and one of the weapons they had, they had little daggers, they had pikes, javelins. One of the weapons they had was a medium-sized gladius sword. It was a two-edged sword. And what they would do is, I'm going to pick on my people in the front row, <laughs> but they'd put the shields up, mostly protect their body and protect their face, and they would use their sword. They might injure, go for the stabbing, the kill strike, slaying, hacking. Sadly enough, when the body fell, fell they would step over it, move up, get the next person. Okay? This is what they did with the sword. So the Apostle Paul would have seen this, he would have known from history that this is what's going on. But we, brothers and sisters, we wield a different sword. We don't wield a sword that could hurt somebody. We wield the Word of God. And if we don't know the Word of God or we don't care to know the Word of God, we're going into battle without a sword. We're just playing defense all the time. Has any great army or uh, empire ever won playing defense? The answer is no. The answer is no. Pulling down strongholds, winning people to the Lord. We need to use our sword. Now, I try to cover all the bases. Does this mean, Pastor Joe, 
Why would the Apostle Paul use a pagan organization to make his point? Is the soldier always right? Are our soldiers always right? No. Are our police always right? No. Is there ever a lapse of judgment in the heat of battle? Yes. However, Romans 13 says that imperfect civil order is preferable to anarchy. Okay? So, if you think things are bad now, if we continue to go with, with some of these radicals from the 60s who are now in office trying to move us in a direction towards anarchy, once it happens, it's all over. Infrastructure's out, the power's out, our Apple computers are out, our Starbucks coffee or wherever we go, Dunkin' Donuts, it's done. Gasoline, forget about it. It's like one of those horrible movies of, of anarchy. So, imperfect civil order is preferable to anarchy. Romans 13 tells us that. Every man back then needed to do his part. And if not, there would be chaos in the ranks. You know, in Israel, they have mandatory uh, service into the military. And I think it teaches the, the average person something. You know, as a police officer for so long, I've been in situations where I was grossly outnumbered. And people try to get my gun and shoot me with my own gun. I'm still here. Thankfully, there were other officers that came to, to save me. I've been in situations where I still remember a, a person of high rank said to me, Joey, I'll never forget the time that I was surrounded and you were the first person I saw. It's in his mind, okay? When you're in an organization, paramilitary, military, you start to learn something that I think is lacking in the church, and the word is loyalty. A lot of Christians have the attitude, it's not my problem, it's not happening to me, I don't care. That's, that's an issue. Or believers have the attitude, I'm going to get mine when I'm in trouble, but then when I see another believer who's going through the same thing, I'm busy. I've got things to do. Loyalty, very important. Camaraderie. I've been in situations where a police, soldier, gang member who came to Christ, uh, organized crime member who came to Christ, all come together under the fellowship of Christ. What they understand is loyalty. Even under the dysfunctional side, in gangs and stuff, there's a family mentality and there's a loyalty. I'm not condoning it. But I'm saying some grow up in a, a situation that's so horrific in the home that they join a gang and they find a sense of family and brotherhood there and they'll die for each other. They'll even go to prison for each other. But in the church, there's a splintering. And what we look like is the ranks being, being just disbanded. Fiery darts, javelins, you know, the, the chariots are coming and we're all over the place. And I don't mean our geographical local church. I mean the aggregate church in the Western Hemisphere. If you're a Syrian Christian or an Iraqi Christian, I guarantee you're either the real deal or you're another religion. Because they, any day ISIS can come or the troops can come and overrun their village and it's all over for them. So when they are Christians, they understand what it means to be loyal to each other. They understand camaraderie. And I think that's something in Western Christianity that we need to, we need to do a little bit better job on. Now, you notice that there was no back protection. And I'm going to surmise here, it's my opinion. We can deduce that the Christian soldier, with all his or her battle gear, does a better job squared off with the enemy. We're not to give our backs to the enemy. We're not to give quarter to the enemy. And there's other believers like-minded us, as us, next to us and behind us. And we go forward into battle. We square off against the enemy, and God protects the vulnerable parts. Just my opinion. So I want to read one more thing about the sword, Hebrews 4, 12 through 13. It says, For the word of God is living and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword. No doubt having the gladius in mind, the two-edged sword. It's funny. In uh, Revelation 19, when Jesus comes back in the second coming, he comes out of heaven and he's on the horse. It says a two-edged sword proceeds from his mouth to smite the nations. So, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the division of soul and spirit and of joints and marrow. I think of, actually I think of a butcher, the way they cut so perfectly to get that cut of meat and they use a, a certain type of cleaver to do that. But let's talk about this in a spiritual sense. Division of soul and spirit. That's an interesting point. The spirit is the eternal part of us. The soul, 
if the, the word is suke, where we get psychology from, it makes it the division to understand what's real in the spiritual realm and maybe some things that we're thinking. And it's able, like a surgeon's scalpel, to, to say, no, 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 there's a tumor there. We need to take that out. That's not something we should be focusing on because this is what the Bible says. It is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. Especially in New Jersey, 2015, a lot of people have up walls. But I tell you what, I've been in situations where you, you preach the word. Some people are smitten by it. They're in love. They're like, well, tell me more about this God who loves me. And others are, are angry. It's not like you hit them. You just told them about the God who loves them. But it gets past all their defenses and it pierces the heart. Isaiah 55, you know, the word doesn't come back void. It does what it's supposed to do. Um, and there is no creature hidden from his sight, but all things are naked and open to the eyes of him who we must give account. So we, we put up walls for people around us, but we are naked. We are bare when it comes to God because he sees through into our heart. He knows what we're thinking. You know, so why try to deceive him? I mean, let, just let the, the word do the work. If you're here to, today and you don't know Jesus Christ, let the word pierce your heart. Don't fight it because he's going to get through. So we see this. It, it, the, the word reveals truth. It quickens the spirit. It severs tumors of sin, and it does spiritual surgery. A church that does not use the word of God is a useless social institution that has no power. Period. We need to use our word. Do we want to go into battle? And if we do go into battle, are we going to don the right equipment? You know, this might be something where we, we take the words to heart and maybe take it home and pray about it and say, Lord, what is it? What, what pieces am I missing? What, what a, you know, Lord, use me. So my desire is that we are serious about our faith. Like Warren Wiersbe said, it's not a playground, it's a battleground. My desire is that we all take this to heart, step up to the plate. If you want to get into the battlefield, then pray to God to be fitted with the right spiritual arm. Let's pray. You've been listening to To Every Generation from Calvary Chapel Crossfield. We're located at 15 Half Acre Road in Jamesburg, New Jersey. We meet for Bible study Wednesdays at 7.30 p.m. and Sunday service begins at 10.30 a.m. On Sundays we have children's church for all ages in addition to infant and nursery care. You can find out more about the ministry here at Calvary Chapel Crossfields by going to cccrossfields.org. Thanks for listening and may God bless you.